I want to start this morning with um, the secret weapon that we have called prayer. There are some incredible promises in the Word of God regarding prayer. For instance, Jeremiah 33.3 says, Call unto me, and I will answer you, and I will tell you great and unsearchable things which you do not know. God has made a promise to us concerning prayer, that if we call upon his name, that if we pray to him, that he will answer us according to his will with great and unsearchable things which we know not. I was deeply moved this week by the life of Billy Graham. God would uh, give him a wife, and her parents were missionaries to China, and Billy grew up in a farm in Charlotte, and they met together at Wheaton College, and then they were called out by God, and they called upon God their entire lives for opportunities to preach the gospel. And Billy, in his lifetime, would preach to over 215 million people, several thousands of people coming to the kingdom. But he said the three keys to a crusade are to pray, and the second key is pray, and the third key is pray. They prayed and they poured out their hearts to God and God gave them a burden for the cities. And I'm convinced today that if we will pray and call out to God, that God will answer our prayers. Jeremiah is told that we, with our, uh, with our limited understanding, will call out to God with his unlimited understanding, with his infinite wisdom, with his all power. He will answer us with great and unsearchable things. Another great promise is in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. It says these words, Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we would ask or think, according to the power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church in Christ Jesus through all generations forever. Amen. Now to him who is seated on the throne, to him who is sovereign with his purposes and plan, to him who sees the beginning and the end, to him who knows the big picture and knows what is best, to him who is immeasurably wise, who can do more than we can think or even imagine. We can ask. You know, we can ask for a lot and we can imagine even more, but God is able to do more than we can ask or even imagine according to his incredible power that is at work within us. Yesterday, the church had no power. We were a powerless church. There was no power flowing to us. We were in the dark. Today, we have power. You see, where there's prayer, there's power. Where there's no prayer, there's no power. Where there's some prayer, there's some power. But where there's much prayer, there's much power. And this verse says, according to the power that works within us. You see, when you tap into God's power, you tap into the greatest power source in the entire universe. Because God is all-powerful. So one of the reasons to tap into a relationship with Jesus is you get the Holy Spirit and the power of God becomes resident inside of you. We've been... uh, talking a little bit about spiritual warfare. We're doing a series titled The Good Fight. So I want to review some of the things we've been learning together. First of them is that there is a battle raging 
between good and evil. We hear much about the battle in our schools these days, about the shootings. We hear much about banning guns, assault rifles, about teachers with carry and conceal permits, about background checks. But we remember the words of Jesus just before the cross when they came to arrest Jesus. One of Jesus' disciples had a sword. His name was Peter. And Peter swung his sword at someone coming to arrest Jesus. His name was Malchus. And basically lopped off this guy's ear. And Jesus said these words. He said, no more of this. And he commanded, commanded Peter to put away his sword. Now, it seems that one of the great differences between the Muslim and Christian religions are the Muslims take up their sword, whereas Jesus commanded us to put away our swords. Jesus would go on to say, if you live by the sword, you will die by the sword. In America now, with 325 million guns, what would Jesus say to America? I think what Jesus would say is that the gun is not the issue. The issue is the person and the heart of the person behind the gun. You see, there is no law that can change the heart of a person. Only Jesus can change the heart of a person. You cannot solve a spiritual issue with a law being passed, if you will. Now, it's true that we're getting guns in the hands of wrong people, and students are raising up their voices all across this land. But we have to remember that the cure to the problem is Jesus and a relationship with Jesus where we voluntarily lay down our guns. Secondly, the enemy is relentless in his efforts to take us out. The enemy has his strategies and schemes and tactics. And I believe that the, the primary tactic of the enemy is to cut us off from one another, that is, put us into isolation, take us out of community. We're no longer in relationship to each other, no longer in relationship to God. We're cut off, we're in isolation. Or then to incite us to violence, to cut one another. One of the enemy's tactics is to get people to believe he doesn't exist. So he works covertly behind the scenes and he takes people captive. Jesus would say the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus came to give us life, and life more abundantly. See, the thief is always about stealing our joy, robbing our peace, killing innocent people, destroying people's lives. But Jesus came to set people free. Wherever you see gangs organized toward violence, where you see shooters coming into high school campuses, you see terrorists exploding bombs that take out the innocent, you see the evidence of darkness. These are the evidences of the enemy. And then for us to be living in intimidation and fear. See, God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. And so many times we can be taken out by the enemy by intimidation or by anger. I admit that 
For several weeks, I've been dealing in my internal being with anger about a person who did wrong. I don't believe the person who did wrong saw they did wrong. By the way, this is not about Debbie. <laughs> sin, sin will blind us to our offenses. Now, I'm not sure this person will ever see the wrong they did because the wrong they did hurt many, many people. But I believe that in hearing people's feelings about this, I was bearing their offense because I was feeling their hurt. And the Spirit of God spoke to me and said, R, you need to forgive from the heart. And God did a really deep work in me of letting something go where now I'm free. See, the enemy is relentless in his desire to take you out. And third, one of the main battlefields for us is the mind. 2 Corinthians 10 says that, that we live in this world, we do not wage war as the world wages. We do not wage war with Glocks and 9 millimeters and AR-15s and AK-47s. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. We fight against enemy strongholds. Now, these strongholds are well-defended, strong fortresses that are difficult to dismantle. Anger, pride, fear, unbelief can be strongholds. Remember back to the city of Jericho, this well-fortified city. The people lived there, but lived in pride and unbelief. They believed that their city would never fall. But there's something more powerful, we sang about it, than the enemy's stronghold. That is the power of God. The people marched and they blew their ram's horn and shouted and the walls came down. Now, what do you think for those seven days the people of God did as they marched around the city? I believe it was prayer. I believe the people were praying for seven days for those strongholds to be taken down. See, divine power demolish the strongholds. We have divine power to demolish strongholds because we take every thought captive to Christ. Any thought you don't take captive will take you captive. Any thought you haven't taken captive has taken you captive. You see, you are the gatekeeper of your own mind. You get to decide what you think. Fourth, we have spiritual weapons to fight with. Now, as Paul is writing this letter to Ephesians, he is himself chained to a Roman soldier. The Roman soldiers were everywhere. And he saw how the soldiers dressed. They would put on their belt and then their breastplate and their shoes and their helmet and their sword, their shield. And he now begins to make a metaphor, an analogy, if you will, of the Christian life. He begins to draw upon what he sees that says this is how we're to fight this battle. C.S. Lewis said that every square inch of the universe is contested. It is claimed by God and counterclaimed by the enemy. You see, God wants us to be moving forward. God wants us to be advancing. God wants us to be taking ground back that's been surrendered to the enemy. The church is moving forward. And finally, we can and we will triumph over the enemy. 
If we call upon God and put on our armor and believe that greater is he that is in us than he that is in this world, if we will walk with God, we will triumph over the enemy. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. Finally then, be strong in the Lord, be strengthened in the Lord, and in his mighty power. The very same power that raised Christ from the dead lives also in you. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Verse 14. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. There's some lessons that we've learned, some armor we've learned about the first was to put on our belt of truth. I hope this week you've been putting on your belt of truth because your belt will protect you from deception. To the Roman soldier, the belt was very important because when they went out to battle, they made sure they had on their belt. Their sword was tied to their belt. You see, the enemy will attack you with lies and deception and falsehood. The lie that we must please everyone to be happy. The lie we must be perfect to avoid criticism. The lie that we must perform to have worth. Jesus said you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. So the gospel is the truth. We enter into agreement with the truth and we renounce the falsehood and we experience freedom. The second piece of armor he mentions here is the breastplate of righteousness. We learned about that, remember? The breastplate was the heaviest piece of armor, kind of like the, the, um, the protection of the heart. Now, why would a soldier go to all the trouble to put on heavy armor on their chest? Because the enemy loves to lay heavy accusations against us. Remember that God knows your sin, but he calls you by name. But the enemy knows your name, but calls you by your sin. You see, you have entered into agreement with the enemy, calling yourself by your sin. And that's why we need to put on the breastplate of righteousness. Yes, I have sinned. Here's my confession. I have sinned. I am a sinner. I cannot deny it. But I confess that Jesus is the righteous Son of God. And I have put my faith in him. He suffered for my sins. He suffered on the cross. I believe he is my substitute. And when he substituted himself for me on the cross, he took away my sin and he pronounced over me righteousness. I have been justified, which is to say, as if I've never sinned, as if I've always been righteous. But not only we put on the breastplate of righteousness, we shod our feet with the peace that comes from the gospel. I'm ready for battle because my feet have been shod 
with the gospel of peace. I'm on good terms with God because I have been reconciled. I'm at peace with God because the peace treaty has been signed. I know that God is for me and not against me. So I walk through this world with peace with God and trying to help other people find their peace with God. Now we come this morning to some more necessary pieces of armor. It says in verse 16 that we take up the shield of faith to protect us, to extinguish the fiery darts of the enemy. Why should we take up this shield of faith? Because the enemy loves to shoot fiery darts at you. You can expect that you will be shot at with fiery armors, fiery arrows. You might have been hit even this week. Because the fiery darts come at us, we need a shield. For the Roman soldier, there were two kinds of shields. There was sort of the Captain America shield, kind of the round shield, and then there was sort of the longer oblong shield that would protect the whole person. Why did they need a shield? Because the flaming missiles can fly in your direction at any time. You can get shot with an email with all capital letters. You can get shot by an unkind text sent in your direction. You can get shot by a Facebook post. You can get shot with a recurring thought that's just rumbling through your mind. You can get shot with an impure thought the enemy places on you. You never know when you're going to get hit. As a result, you need to stay on your alert and, and take up your shield of faith. You can expect that in this life, you're going to be criticized. Ephesians 6.16 says, You take up this shield of faith in front of you, and you will be empowered to defend yourself. You can extinguish the fiery darts of the enemy. The shield is the divine empowerment of the believer for protection. It is like a wall that God puts around us. The quenching refers to the drowning, dousing with water. It refers to a water-soaked shield of the Roman soldiers. Before they went to battle, they soaked their shields in water until the, the water saturated their shield. They did this because they knew the enemy would be shooting fiery arrows in their direction. If the shield was dry, it would be set on fire. But if the shield was soaked, the flames would be extinguished. The enemy would shoot its arrows with tips that had been soaked in flammable material. And those arrows would fly in the person's direction. And they would take up their shield and the enemy's arrows would plant into that shield and then be extinguished because they had been soaked in water. Now what's that saying to us? You, my brothers and sisters, are going to go into battle and the enemy is going to take shots at you. And some of those arrows will be with fire. They will inflame your heart if they get through. But God has given us a shield of faith. 
And the shield of faith is for us to be soaked in the Word. To the degree that we are soaked in the Word, when the enemy takes a shot at us, that arrow becomes extinguished. You see, the shield had two laminated boards glued together, covered with, le with leather. And the enemy knew that there would be an attack. And the first part of the attack would be the shooting of the fiery missiles. What God wants you to hear is that all the fiery darts of the enemy can be extinguished. All the fiery missiles of the enemy can be put out. All the fiery arrows of the enemy can only get so far. All the attacks of the enemy, he cannot take you out because God has given to you the shield of faith. I'm going to carry with me my shield of faith. I'm going to walk by faith through this world knowing the enemy is going to take shots at me. And then he says, we carry the helmet of salvation to protect our heads in the battle. The helmet protects the head from enemy attacks. Now, I notice that every sport in the Olympics, they were wearing helmets. The bobsledders wore helmets. The skiers wore helmets. And the halfpipe, they wore helmets. Your head is a very important part of your body because it contains your brain, which controls everything. Your head determines how you think about life. So we put on the helmet of salvation to learn to think biblically. You see, if a soldier took off his helmet, he was unprotected and vulnerable. The only way he could stay guarded was to keep his helmet on. So the soldier would never go into battle without his helmet on. Roman soldiers had to defend against the enemy swords. What would happen would be the enemy would take a broadsword and try to split open the head of a soldier. How does the enemy attack us? The enemy attacks us with doubts and discouragement. We pour into our kids and they give us a hard time. We pour into our work and they let you go. We pour into a counseling process and seem to be not making much progress. The helmet of salvation here is something we put on. You see, salvation has to do with our past, of being forgiven for our past. Salvation has to do with the power of sin being broken right now. But it also has to do with our hope. And it seems the helmet of salvation here refers to the hope of the believer at the return of Jesus Christ. You see, Satan would love for us to be discouraged and hopeless. So we put our hope in him. Where have you put your hope? Hope is like oxygen to the soul. You can't live your life without hope. A soldier going to battle has a hope of finishing the battle and getting home. A student in the battle hopes that someday this class will be over. A patient has a hope that someday the treatment will make me better. We are people in need of great hope. So we put on the helmet of salvation. You see, the helmet of salvation says this place where we live is not our home. We know we're only here for a little while. The things we see in this world are only temporary. The things we don't see are eternal. 
There is something that cannot be taken from us, which is our hope of an inheritance we have in heaven, that Jesus has gone to make a place for us, that forever we will be with him there. The hope. We put on the helmet of salvation to protect our heads. And next, we carry the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, to slay the enemy. We said that we are in a battle, and the enemy will bring the attack. But God has provided a sword for you. You have something to do battle with. Your sword is the Word of God. You see, the Spirit that inspired the Scriptures also moved people by the Spirit to write them. Now the Spirit inspired the Word of God, and the Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. To win the battle, you have to use your sword at the right time to slay the enemy. What you want to do is you want to put the enemy at your feet. You want to conquer and triumph over the enemy. And the one weapon that God has given us for the offense is the sword. The sword is the Word of God. We know that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And it was there that Jesus would be tempted by the devil. The enemy would attack him for 40 days and 40 nights. And the enemy will attack you when you are the weakest. Now, Jesus was fasting. And when I skip lunch, one lunch, I get grumpy and weak. How about you? How do you do when you're not eating well? Well, the enemy will attack you when you're trying to worship, when you're being generous, when you're using your gift. The enemy came to Jesus, and he'll come after you. The attack on Jesus went something like this. Jesus looks like you're pretty hungry. My imitation of the devil. Your father hasn't been very good to you. Why don't you just take care of yourself? If he doesn't take care of you, why don't you take care of yourself, Jesus? If you are the son of God, why don't you just prove yourself? Why don't you just take some of these stones and turn them into a dozen Panera sesame seed, sesame seed bagels? Why don't you take some of these stones and turn them into a dozen Krispy Kreme donuts? Make yourself a quick dozen. See, when a man is hungry, food is a huge temptation. How did Jesus deal with the temptation? Did he enter into agreement with the enemy? You know, you're kind of right, devil. I do kind of feel sorry for myself. Like, I am kind of hungry. A dozen Krispy Kremes would sound pretty amazing right now. What did Jesus do when he was tempted? You see, if Jesus succumbs to the temptation, if he yields to his appetites, he disqualifies himself. But if Jesus overcomes, prevails, he becomes our Savior. There's a weapon that Jesus deployed under pressure. It's the very same weapon you have to deploy when you're under pressure. He pulled out of his arsenal the very word of God. Satan had said, if you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. And Jesus said, it is written. He quoted 
the word of God. Man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. There is no question in my mind that you will be tempted. But if you don't take out your sword, you'll never slay the enemy. You say, Pastor, I don't know where my sword is. I've lost it. It's in the drawer. It's in a shelf. It's on a mobile device. You know where your Snapchat is. You know where your newsfeed is. But you don't know where your sword is? Where's your sword? Does anybody have a sword? Does anybody have the Word of God? Because without your sword, you're never going to be able to slay the enemy. The enemy will always have the upper hand on you until you have your sword. But he had a secret weapon. And he unveiled it there in the verse 18. And I want you to pray in the Spirit on all occasions, in the good times and the bad. I want you to pray when there's plenty of light and when there's plenty of darkness. I want you to make all kinds of prayers. I want you to make thanksgiving prayers and confession prayers, private prayers and public prayers. I want you to make silent prayers and shouting prayers. I want you to have walking prayers and kneeling prayers. I want my people to pray. You see, unless you pray, unless you pray, the enemy will have the upper hand. It's prayer that releases the power of God. And he says, I want you to pray in the Spirit on all occasions. You may feel weak. You may feel helpless. You may feel overwhelmed. You may feel defeated. But I want you to pray in the Spirit. I want this church to be a place of prayer where people can pray to a Heavenly Father. I want you to pray with intensity, with fervency. I want you to pray to God and be very specific. I want you to pray in the Spirit. You see, we don't know how we're supposed to pray. So sometimes we come to a situation, Lord, I don't know how to pray. <laughs> Debbie was, teach, was teaching up in uh, Wheaton and trying to teach, and she was, given a, she was looking for a job. And her teaching assignment was to teach seventh graders science. Now, if you know Debbie, she lo loves many things, but science is not her strong suit. So she didn't sleep that night. And she asked the Holy Spirit to pray for her. And after several weeks of wrestling with God, she got a phone call when she became a sixth grade teacher. In other words, God heard her cry for mercy. I want to conclude by taking you to Acts chapter 12. One of my very favorite stories in the entire Bible about prayer. <clears throat> Story goes <clears throat> that Peter was a leader in the church. <laughs> and the authorities had arrested some Christians, rounded them up. They were persecuting the Christians. And it didn't look good for Peter because the church had no political power. There was no official they could talk to. There was no well-placed phone call they could make. You could say they were powerless and overwhelmed. And to make matters worse, James, the brother of John, had been put to death, and Peter's trial was scheduled for the next day. Peter was going to be brought to trial and most likely executed. Chapter 12, verse 5. 
So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly making prayers to God for him. Somebody was praying, can Peter become a good martyr? Would he just be a good witness in his last day? But perhaps somebody prayed, would God deliver him? You know, God delivered those Daniel from the lion's den. God delivered David from Saul. Maybe God will deliver Peter. The night before they brought him to trial, verse 6, Peter was sleeping, resting in the presence of God. Maybe he'd shared his witness, said some prayers, fallen asleep. How about that? On the night he's going to be executed, night before he's executed, he was sleeping. And God then sent an angel and appeared and a light shone in the cell and Peter woke up. See, Peter was touched by an angel. and said, quick, get up, Peter. I think Peter's a little sleepy. And chains fell off of Peter's wrists. And then he said, put on your clothes and they left the prison cell and the gates opened up. Why do I tell you this story? Sometimes we feel overwhelmed by life. We read the news, right? We hear the stories. And we say we feel so powerless. The church at this moment felt so powerless. It was a very dark time for them. But they started to pray. The church started to pray. And when God's people pray, people get awakened. And when God's people pray, chains fall off people's wrists. And when God's people pray, prison doors swing open. I'm telling you, there is power in prayer. So God says the secret weapon for his church to deploy against the enemy is pray in the Spirit on all occasions. Come on, friends, praise let's, let's do some praise to God. God wants to transport you from where you are to a place of rest in him. To quiet your soul that he is a God who's in charge and in control. That God is sovereign. He's all-powerful. And whatever situation you're wrestling with, maybe the tragic loss of a friend, maybe a situation you're grappling with at work, maybe something within your family, it's not too great for God to deal with. So pray with me. Father, as we bow now for worship, we pray now for the ministry of your Spirit upon us. We pray, Lord, as we've heard this word, that we're to arm ourselves, we're also to quiet ourselves in your presence and remember who you are, that you're a God with unlimited power and authority. You're a good Father who hears the prayers of your people. Hear us, Lord, as we pray and as we worship, we pray in Jesus' name.